0: Screen Time
1: with John Fardy.
2: This is News Talk.
1: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy, and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, we toast the success of the Irish at the Oscars when I talk to the director of The Quiet Girl I'm Colleen Kuhn, Colin Barade. The young star of Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, Gabriel Labelle, chats to me about making the most personal of Spielberg movies. Plus, we review the new Netflix documentary, Pamela, A Love Story, where Pamela Anderson gives us her side of all that happened to her. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Now, the big news of the week was obviously... Frank Lampard getting sacked from Everton. I'm joking, of course. It's the Oscars. My gosh, what a what a day when all that happened and uh, 14 nominations, the most ever, It's incredible. And a lot of people have said it, but it feels like the culmination of all sorts of things. That it's like a an over determined event. That it's you know all these schemes that were brought to encourage movies and TV shows being made here and T.G. Caher and uh, production companies like Troy Studios and the wealth of Irish storytelling talent that it's all come to bloom. It's all come to fruition on this particular day with all those nominations. And it's it's just absolutely wonderful. And the Banshee, Rom Tome. And there's this certain narrative emerging now that it's not actually that good a movie. I, I just don't get that. I, I still think it's a great movie. Some people are writing retrospectively that they found it boring and stuff. But I I, I don't get that. I think it's a fantastic movie. And if you haven't seen it, it's now on Disney. If you don't want to go to the cinema, you can watch it at home. The only thing about the Oscars, and I don't want to strike a negative note, is Avatar was nominated for Best Movie. That's head-scratching to me. I mean, if there was an award for Best Screensaver, by all means, it should probably take it home. But Best Movie... Please, please. Anyway, so a fantastic day for the Irish, uh, and you've been hearing about it all week. And I suppose there was particular joy for On Colleen Kewen because it's such a small movie in every sense of the phrase, and yet has such a huge heart. And talking of The Quiet Girl, which, as I say, we have been waxing lyrical about and urging you to go to, and I was very dramatic last week and described it as a travesty if it wasn't nominated for Best International Film, and indeed it was. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by its writer and director now, Colin Barade. Colin, how are you, sir?
2: I'm not too bad, John, not too bad at all.
1: Has it been a crazy two, three days?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's been, yeah totally totally nuts it's it's kind of hard to get your head around it to be honest um you know i mean we've been working obviously on the the campaign for this mm-hmm. you know it's been kind of all-consuming for the the last few months um so you know you're kind of intimately familiar with every aspect of, <laughs> of the competition and all the other films and like what are the permutations of like who's gonna make it and, and just the odds on all the different films like we were like total experts obviously on the this category yeah So it was, yeah. Just it was one of the. It was just incredibly tense, you know, watching watching it play out, and and because it was in alphabetical order, which we knew anyway. But we knew if we were going to be selected, we were going to be the last, the last film. So to be to be announced, but uh, yeah, it was amazing, magical moment.
1: Yeah, and that is heartache stuff, though, because there's five nominees, and if you're going to be selected, you're going to be the fifth and the last one. But waiting as those four come up, it must have been just hard in the mouth stuff. I can only imagine.
2: Yeah yeah and you're also you're doing these sort of split seconds calculations when you when you realize oh okay like the south korean film didn't make it like you're yeah. did to leave you know because that was because it went to eo which was the polish film and so you're kind of thinking all oh, right so that didn't make it that one made it and you're, you're like is there room left for us and yeah and, um, yeah no it was yeah incredible and, and we you know it, we actually watched it all together with the cast and crew in um we were in the Stella Cinema. There, I saw it moment. on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. Oh, it was amazing. Like it was kind of the way we were kind of the way we justified that was like some people are like, are you were you mad doing that? Like, <laughs> if you hadn't gotten on. It would have been a bit of a damn squib. But to us, it wouldn't have been like it would have been still a moment to celebrate the film and yeah. You know, we got two BAFTA nominations last week as well. So, and also like our our crew, we never had a proper wrap party because we filmed during COVID. You know, so. We couldn't have a rap party, so it was actually... It was kind of like a, a long-delayed... <laughs> rap party in a way as well and uh, yeah just brilliant day. what
1: a way to rap a rap party it's funny you say decision to leave because I saw like I haven't by any stretch seen the 15 that were long listed but I saw decision to leave and I was surprised that didn't make it to be honest because I thought that was a great yeah. film not as good as The Quiet Girl on Colleen Kewen, but, but a good movie so I can see why you were starting to think oops tell me this uh, you said you've kind of been on the campaign or intimately acquainted with it for a while does that mean you've been doing lots of interviews like this one or you've just been studying the form, or a combination of both of those things.
2: Uh, it's both of those things, but it's also like we've been over in LA a great deal, yeah. and because what you do, like when you're when you're on the short list or when you're kind of in the running, you um, you have these screenings that you put on and you try and get Academy members to come to those. So, like we're working with our US distributor; uh, it's a, a label called Super, who are part of Neon, um, and Neon would have they do a lot of they would have released parasites and worst person in the world yeah and so like they're an amazing team like but um so working with them and we also have like an award strategist or slash publicist and they work on you know setting up these screenings so you have these screenings in these like screening rooms around la and you get academy members to come to them and so we're there and there's a q you do a QA and there's usually a reception afterwards and you kind of you try and sort kind of meet as many members as possible and you know, your publicist is introducing you to all the mm. kind of right people. And then, so lo- it's like a political campaign <laughs> in some ways.
1: You must but be all schmoozed out.
2: Well, I actually, I love, the thing is like you're actually meeting even, you, you never know who you're meeting, but like when you get talking to them, you, you learn like <laughs> this kind of amazing information. Like, you know, I met like David Lynch's editor, like the woman wow. who put like Twin Peaks and all of David Lynch's films since. And another another woman who's, put like the last few Ingmar Bergman movies and you know like the director of photography on speed and like the movie the Canaries* Reeves movie and just all these people that you know they just yeah. look, look like ordinary folk but then you get talking to them and you're like wow these are like kind of heroes of mine in a way uh-huh. and like so I love talking to those people. It's To me, that's not difficult at all. Yeah. It's actually a privilege, you know. I
1: hear that, I hear that. Listen, let me ask you just a bit about the movie. I know you've been talking about it for a long time now, but when it was released, we spoke to Andrew Bennett. I don't know why we didn't talk to you. My apologies, but Andrew was great. But, you know, I heard an interview with Roddy Doyle a while ago, and he was discussing a character of his that I know very well. And he said this thing about him. And I was like, really? And I was thinking, well, that's it's Roddy. He created him. I guess he knows. And it was funny. When I was talking to Andrew Bennett about The Quiet Girl... I described uh, the actor's name, I think, is Michael Patrick, who plays Catherine's father. And yeah. I kind of said something along the lines of, he wasn't a very nice man. He, You know, he wasn't a great dad. And she goes off the the story, the narrative arc, which you're into me playing to do it, when she goes to her aunt and uncle, life improves dramatically for her. And Andrew, and it's always nice when people disagree with you because you're, you're learning something. But Andrew said, well, hang on a second now. I see him more as a... A guy who's doing the best. He's a lot of children. He's no money. He's he's struggling to be a dad. I think that's a fair assessment. And I thought, well, that that's a good point. And I'm it's always stuck with me, you know, the way. But you're the guy who wrote it, albeit on on Claire Keegan's uh, novella. But how do you see the dad character?
2: I would be, I would be kind of similar to Andrew um, mm. in that, like for me, the, the film is kind of a meditation on the fact that. We are all the products of our childhood, you know. Mm. And when I see the dad character, like Cod's dad, um, I just, I just think, well, what, what kind of childhood did he have, and what it feels to me, and this is something myself and Michael Patrick used to talk about that he's sort of perpetuating something that was that was done unto him, you know, that this is a kind of a learned uh, behavior in terms of like his his parenting or his his lack of parenting, yeah, in, in many respects. And that, like the kind of the, the vices that are in his life, you know, like he's obviously he has issues with, with with alcohol and with gambling and so forth. That they're like an expression of of some some trauma, you know, because like you know, it's an established fact now that all addictions are related to trauma in some way or another. So we always, we always, you know, we were aware that his behaviour was was reprehensible, but that there was. That there was um a reason for it, you know mm-hmm. that this was a guy who was sort of emotionally crippled in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um and and that in a sense is one of the more tragic characters in the story because you know he's he's almost the most distant from the people that he should be closest to mm-hmm. um and that to me is is a very sad thing and and um and it's even rendered more tragic by the fact that caught um become so close with this this other set of parents and this yeah. other father figure and even even Michael Patrick's character at the end senses that you know and there's mm-hmm. a there's a part of him that's that's hurt by that so yeah we were always we were always myself and Michael Patrick were always discussing those elements and and just being conscious of the fact that like this isn't just like a villainous character that this is a human being
1: mm-hmm.
2: that has its own has his own uh you know battles, as it were, going on. It's like yeah. I think it was Socrates said, wasn't it? It's like, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone is fighting a hard battle, and that's true. I think of all the characters in the story, yeah. but um, his, in a sense, are are particularly pronounced, and and are but then are are expressed in a way that's. That's uh, unsavoury, I guess, you know.
1: Well, look, I'm not going to argue with you or Socrates for that matter. Listen, I'm going to wrap up soon because you've had a mad week and uh, I want to let you go. But I want to ask you two final things. And this seems like the very weird place to ask you this, but you've been living with this movie now for a long time. You're going to have the big bash in L.A. What are you going to do after this? What's your next project, if you don't mind me asking? Uh,
2: Well, I don't know exactly. I mean, there's sort of a lot of different late spinnings what i would love to do is i would like to make another film um in ireland um Mm -hmm. uh, so i am developing some projects on that front so yeah i just i feel like there's like there are stories here that i still want to tell you know um Mm -hmm. um but then there has been a lot of interest just internationally you know i've been sent different things and and so forth so it's just a a question of yeah of weighing up exactly what's going to be next but um yeah, I'm sure that that news will 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 reveal itself in course.
1: <laughs> it's not going to reveal itself to me now, is what you're saying, but that's fair enough. <laughs> Listen, finally, then, uh, and this is people can still see on Colleen Cuehan in cinemas, and I suggest you go and see it in a cinema. This is going to do wonders for the film, uh, and that's why I'm a big fan of the Oscars, because whatever you think about the problems that it has been beset with over the years, it brings a light to movies that would possibly not get an audience as large as they would once they're Oscar nominated. So I think this is wonderful. And just with the Oscars in mind, you're going, right? And you're going to go for the whole shoot and match and see what happens and sit in the Dolby Theatre and all that, Right.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll all be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm particularly looking forward to, like, young Catherine Clinch, you know, who's yeah. never, this is her first film, like, she never acted in front of a camera before. And, you know, she's she's going to be going to the Oscars, you know, she's going to be, I know, you know, dolled up to the nines and all that, I'm sure. But I just think it's magical just to, to watch that yeah. happen. And, and the journey she's been on, uh, I think, is really special, so... Yeah. And, you know, I grew up watching the Oscars and kind of dreaming about, oh, wow, well, I might have been there and all that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's pinch yourself stuff. Like it really is. It is. But, well, look. Um, yeah. It,
1: it, it's richly deserved uh, based on Colleen Kuhn you know, I was going to say something dramatic like you you hold the hopes of a nation in your hands <laughs> but I won't say that I'll just remind people again to go and see on Colleen Kuhn I want to thank you Colum, uh, for making the time this morning I really appreciate it and and we wish you every success and we've had lots of texts to this show people saying that they've seen on Colleen Kuhn and they loved it so thanks for talking to me and the very best of luck
2: Thanks John Groomy and Colin
1: Colm Baret there talking to me about on Colleen Kuhn, which is now nominated for Best International Film. We can't wait to see what happens at this year's Oscars. And talking of Oscars, The Fablemans, the new Steven Spielberg movie, opens this weekend, this very Friday, and it's in lots of cinemas. And I'm going to be talking to its young star, Gabriella Bell, after the break. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. This is News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. I hope you're doing well. Now, The Fablemans is releasing this weekend. It's out this Friday and it's in plenty of cinemas and you've probably heard about it. It's been nominated for Best Movie and Best Director and all sorts of things. It's Steven Spielberg writing, co-writing and directing a semi-fictionalised version of his childhood. It's very much his childhood. We come across a young boy called Sammy who's obsessed with movie making ever since he's been brought to the cinema and he starts to make movies in a way to fit in and also make sense of his slightly troubled, dysfunctional family around him. And it stars Gabriel Lebel as the young Sammy, the young Spielberg, alongside Michelle Williams and Paul Dano, who are his parents, and his uncle of sorts, Seth Rogen, are in supporting roles. And it's very much a movie about Steven Spielberg's childhood. So it's it's semi-fictionalised and is also real, if that makes sense. And it's dedicated to his real-life parents, Leia Adler and Arnold Spielberg, who only passed away in 2017 and 2020 respectively i absolutely loved it i just thought as a piece of cinema that's a love letter to cinema and about a young man finding his way in the world and discovering the joy of cinema and watching his parents kind of come apart slightly it's absolutely gorgeous i really really loved it and the person who plays young sammy the young spielberg is an actor called Gabriel Lebel. Now, I thought he was just kind of in it partially, but he's basically the star of the movie because it kind of takes place all through his teenage years up to his early 20s. And this young man, a Canadian actor, Gabriel Lebel, plays the young Sammy slash Spielberg. And I got to talk to Gabriel earlier in the week. Gabriel, lovely to see you. The film is absolutely fantastic. It's great all to... Right. I was really surprised by how much you were in it. I got word two weeks ago that you were available for an interview before I saw it. And they said, basically, you play the young Spielberg. And I thought it was going to be kind of young, old, older kind of thing. But you're the, the main guy in the movie for nearly all of it, or certainly two hours of it. Were you surprised when you got the script?
3: You know, when I got the script, I was audition- or when I was auditioning, the character's name was Teenage Sammy. Okay. I thought as opposed to Adult Sammy yeah and I get the script, and for the first thirty pages, he's a little kid, and then teenage Sammy shows up mm. and the film's been Paul and Michelle mostly as my parents, and so I fold every page I'm in to make sure I know what scenes to memorize, and then I'm waiting for adult Sammy to show up, <laughs> but he never does yeah nobody told me that yeah. nobody told me that i would i i I was the main character of this movie and or even like every new draft and even on the call sheet it was teenage sammy and i, I just <laughs> felt like this is so strange nobody warned me
1: and so when you did the audition i presume you were very much in the dark as to what it was all about were you just reading lines or did you have a sense that this was some thinly veiled memoir of steven's
3: the first audition I had was for an untitled Amblin film, and that could be okay, anything. yeah, Amblin is a big production company they they have their tentacles and in, in lots of things, and you just two scenes you don't think anything of it, you send it in, and then it's not until after I send them the audition I'm calling to find out if they've i've if we've I've gotten any feedback mm. and they go, yeah, I think uh. I'm hearing rumors that it's a Steven Spielberg movie about his life. And you just auditioned to play a young him. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God. And I get all excited. And so I'm calling back every day to find out what happened, what happened. And I come across these articles. Michelle Williams is attached to this movie to play Steven Spielberg's mother. Paul Dano, his father, Seth Rogen, his uncle. And I hear nothing. For three months so you assume you don't get it and yeah like most other auditions and then in may they want a call back with the casting director and so i stack my books up on my dining room table i have my laptop there for the zoom i have my tripod i'm filming myself on my phone that goes really well the next day they say steven spielberg would like to meet with you now I'm like oh my god here's another scene as well as that other scene Books, laptop, tripod, <laughs> phone. Again, I meet with Steven and I felt really, really good about it. Um, you know, it to the point of like, look, if if, if it's not me, he's just looking for a different character. I did my job. We had a yeah. lovely meeting. And if it's not this, it's the next one. He knows me, you know, he he knows of me. That that feels that felt pretty good. Yeah. And then the next day they tell me I got it. And it's wow. just nuts
1: yeah you know uh i'm Hmm. nearly twice you know i am i'm more than twice your age because you're 20 uh Hmm. and you know for me steven spielberg you know it's not an exaggeration but he probably changed my life you know i went to see et when i was five or so yeah and i was going to ask you about that because he's been making movies for so long were there particular spielberg movies that inspired you
3: i grew up with indiana jones and Mm -hmm. jurassic park and et and all the obvious ones but as i started to appreciate film in a more sophisticated way and i started studying it a lot more on my own and getting into empire of the sun and the color purple and schindler's list and saving private Ryan and close encounters and catch me if you can they go on and on they go on and on you know you really realize like this guy knows what he's doing. I mean, we watched schindler's list in history class he he's he's in our curriculum at school, yeah, he's this figure that almost doesn't exist as a person, and so it, it's so joyful to get to know him as a person and to learn that oh he's a really humble and genuine and normal guy mm, just mm. happens to be obsessed with making movies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, the film is very emotional in times as well as being terribly sweet. And I, I heard somewhere his, his, his Stevens kind of chat to you all on the last day of filming or the final scene or something. I presume at times it was a very emotional
3: set. It, it was an emotional set and he works with the same crew on every film he's ever done mm. or- you know, in, in in the last 30 years, at least. And um, even they said the vibe is different, mm. you know. And on the first day of shooting, I asked Stephen, I go, are you, after getting to know him for about a, a month leading up to it, I, I asked him, like, how are you feeling about this? And he's like, what do you mean? I go, are you nervous at all to, to, to film all th- these things? And he goes, oh, don't worry, I got all my cries out writing the film. <laughs> I'm, right. I'll be totally good. And his his mom had passed about five years before he filmed the movie and his dad about two years prior to that. Mm-hmm. And so when Paul and Michelle are on set together for the first time in costume, makeup and hair, he admitted to me later that he um, he really just saw his parents mm-hmm and forgot where he was and you can't help but appreciate that he's mourning his parents he's mourning his childhood he's remembering this really uh significant time in his life and i you can't articulate how that feels to anybody
1: Mm, yeah i can imagine i can imagine tell me this talking of childhood as i said you're only 20 and yet you've been in the business a while was there a eureka moment for you when you thought
3: I'd like to be an actor, you know i I did a theater there camp. doesn't have to be <laughs> no there there was there wasn't really a Eureka moment. It was just I was eight years old doing a theater camp where, in the summer, at the end of the summer, we do a play with other kids, and I just loved that experience so much. I was the youngest. I was with a bunch of older kids. The older girls would play with my long curly hair, and that's like the coolest thing ever and and um, I just loved playing with everybody and i love the games and i love performing and i love the dancing and the lines and the singing and and so i as soon as the summer ended i thought how can i do this all the time Mm. and i signed up for acting classes and so i would do that during the school year i'd go back to the camp in the summer i have done i did loads of play at that loads of plays at that camp and then when i was 11 i started auditioning for things i booked something that helped me get an agent. And then I, it was just like my soccer practice. It was what I'd be driven to. It was, you know, just something, you know, and, and I knew I wanted to do it, but I never thought of it so existentially until later on in high school. And I started applying for universities, auditioning to get into theater programs and drama programs. Um, so it was a really gradual, uh, way of myself just getting comfortable with it and, and, yeah. and slowly falling in love with it and realizing i don't want to do anything else
1: yeah well it seems like it paid off here you are in the latest spielberg project i think that the girls will continue to play with your short curly hair following uh your fantastic performance the movie's great gabriel and it was lovely to talk to you oh, continued success much. lovely Cheers. to talk to
3: you Have thanks a, good a lot
1: you too bye-bye
2: i want you to make a camping trip you can learn how the editing machine works while you do this. It'll make your mom feel better. Yeah. That last night when she danced in the headlights—that'd be great. Get to it tomorrow, okay?
3: Um, tomorrow's when we start shooting. <laughs> Escape to nowhere. We're shooting all weekend, Dad. This weekend. We got like forty guys coming. To be in the movie. I'll, I'll work on all the camping trips out on
2: Monday. I'm asking you to do this now for your mom. Yeah, She's...
3: and I said that I
2: will, just not tomorrow. Don't Please. be selfish. She just lost her mother.
3: That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? It'll cheer her up. Watching this, it's something we can her do her. mom it just died. To? It's How is that going to cheer her
2: because up? Because you made it for her.
1: A clip there from the Fable Mans. And before that, you heard me talking to Gabrielle LaBelle who plays the young Spielberg. Well, his character's called the young Sammy, but it's it's basically Steven Spielberg, and he's terrific in it. And the movie is terrific. A love letter to cinema and to life. It's classic Spielberg. Spielberg doing Spielberg. It's wonderful. Now, usually earlier in the show, I tell you a bit about some TV I've been watching that I want to recommend to you. I didn't do that in the first part of the show just because we were so busy with the Irish success at the Oscars. But there was a show I watched the entirety of this week that I want to mention to you.
2: I lost my sister six months ago, so I'm a little... I know. I'm so sorry about Holly. She was a few years ahead of us, right? I'm sorry, I didn't... I didn't realize that we went to high school together. We were in show choir together. No, I. I knew I
0: recognized
2: you. No, you didn't. I didn't. It's all good. A lot of people don't remember me. Hey, if you want to take off for the rest of the day, I'll tell Irma you got diarrhea or something. Yeah. And a baby cry.
1: Yes, now that is a clip from Somebody Somewhere, which is is now available on Sky or Now TV. And uh, I had caused to watch it all this week. This was a show that was out last year, nearly a year ago at this stage, that really fell under the radar. And, and I don't know why. I was talking to Pat Kenny about it this week on our series Boxed. And by golly, it is a wonderful TV show. You heard the comedian and cabaret performer there, Bridget Everett. And she plays a kind of version of herself to an extent. It's a version of herself that if her life had been different, she said. She's from a town in Kansas called Manhattan. Yes, there is a Manhattan in Kansas. And it's a small city, big town in Kansas. That's nothing like Manhattan. And she plays this girl, this lady, I should say. I think she's well into her 40s, who comes back to Manhattan because her sister, who she was very close to, died. And she's living back in her house, sleeping on her couch. And she's pretty lonely and sad. Uh, She's a bit lost. Her parents have an unusual marriage. She doesn't get on terribly well with her older sister. She's doing what she perceives as a dead-end job, where she's basically marking high school essays for the SAT office and seems pretty bored with her life. And the character you heard there she meets is an old school friend who she doesn't remember at all because clearly they weren't friends, but he thought she was a guy or he thought they were. He's called Joel played by a comedian. I'd never come across. Who's brilliant in this called Jeff Hiller. And he invites her to a church choir. Cause she used to be a great singer and they used to know each other from show choir, which seems to be a kind of glee type of choir that they were in back in the day. And he invites her to come along to this, kind of choir session they're having in a church, but it's kind of a secret one and she attends it and they're drinking and he calls her up to stage to sing Peter Gabriel's song Don't Give Up with Kate Bush that she used to do back in show choir all those years ago. And a friendship forms with this chap, Joel, who's a work colleague and they become very close and her life starts to improve, not in any Dramatic way initially. It's a slow burn. And this whole show is a delightful slow burn. It's a comedy, but the laughs come slowly, but delightfully when they do come. It's a beautiful study of late-blooming friendship, uh, of small-town America. And small-town America is painted a bit more... You know, pleasantly than we're traditionally used to seeing, it tends to be if it's not in New York or California, it's some kind of hick town. But this is seems like a more nuanced way of viewing things, and there are some issues around religion and gender politics mentioned. But on the whole, it's a great dramedy uh, and a really sweet story that I absolutely adored. And I have to thank Eva Barry from the Journal and the Get Around to a podcast for turning me onto it. Somebody somewhere starring Bridget Everett is absolutely delightful and it is on Sky and Now TV and if you're looking for something fresh and funny to watch this week you should check out Somebody Somewhere. Now something very different is the new Pamela Anderson documentary Pamela, A Love Story and we'll be reviewing that after the break. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, launching next Wednesday, the 31st of January on Netflix is Pamela, A Love Story, a very much authorised biography of Pamela Anderson, where she is front and centre. I suppose possibly as an antidote to Disney's Pam and Tommy, but it's a warts and all look at her life with her, as I say, centre stage. I'm delighted to be joined now by Sue Murphy, who has seen it all. Sue, how are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm not too bad. And thank you for talking to me. So you're a PAM fan, as we discussed before we came on air. And I kind of think after watching this, most people might be. But will you just give us a sense of what's going on in this?
0: Yeah, um, I, I am a PAM fan. I think um, I was one of those kids, and I, I'm not sure. I'd say there are a lot of them around the country who had uh, two co- two stations. They had RC1 and <laughs> Network2. And Baywatch on Saturday night was like primetime television and everyone was very excited, followed by Star Trek The Next Generation. So Pamela Anderson was huge when I was a kid. Like everyone knew who she was. And I'm talking about like I lived in the back of beyond, and everyone knew who Pamela Anderson was. <laughs> so like her life is very has been very much front and centre in people's minds. But she I think she's got a bit of a raw deal over the years because there's the the very famous sex tape with her husband, um, Tommy Lee, which is considered kind of the first viral video. Um, she was a small town Canada girl who ended up in the big time, like ended up in Playboy, ended up the Playboy Mansion. Suddenly this whole life where she's like being asked about her boobs in every second interview. And uh, like she, I think she was trying to forge way for herself. And I I have to say that the the sex tape, I didn't realise had so much of an impact on her career because after Barbed Wire, which was not great, um, she basically disappeared. Like, I mean, if she was still around doing things and she was very much an activist. And we she uh, popped up in the Ali G film, which I thought she was so funny in and that mm. kind of thing. But she essentially, as a huge actress and model, kind of wasn't as front and centre as before. And I think this is... I think this documentary really gives an insight into that and the impact of that. And I I don't know how people feel about this, but I certainly feel that when I was younger, there was this kind of thing about Monica Lewinsky, Pamela Anderson, like these kind of stories that went around women in the press, that it was their fault and Mm -hmm. shameless hussies look at them and this kind of thing. And now, in in retrospect, you look at them and, like, they, they've edited together, like, a good bit, a bit of her interviews, like, where she's just asked constantly about her body. And it's it's
1: preposterous when you, what? like, some of the clips they have, like, the idea that a man particularly would sit down and basically say, she's tell not me not about your boobs. Like, it's, it's just unfathomable.
0: And that's all they wanted to talk about. Mm. Tell, like, have you had implants? Can you imagine in 2023 asking a woman, does she have infants? It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't happen. No. Things like, you know, when are you going to have your first babe? It's so invasive and there was a like her career absolutely collapsed after the sex tape but Tommy Lee became this legend
1: mm, you know the, <laughs> It was
0: like oh look at this guy you know he's with Pam Anderson in the sex tape this is amazing and she was like look at her and so he yeah. became this like scarlet woman and I, I feel like they're there is a retelling of those stories lately. I, I definitely felt that about Monica Lewinsky and some of the documentaries mm-hmm. that came out about her recently, and um, the BBC. T- what was the name of that show? The American Crime Story. Yes. like that has re-reframed that, mm-hmm. and I I think that that's going to happen with this Pamela Anderson thing as well. Particularly because I didn't know that like that, that sex tape was so stolen property. It was yeah. property, yeah. And she tried very hard to get it back, and she didn't want it in the public eye. Uh, but her the whole thing about her career was that, well, you've been on the cover of Playboy, so essentially we own you. I, yeah. It was shocking. Absolutely. And
1: and the deposition she had to give and the questions she was asked by these male lawyers, you know, it, it's horrific. And back to Pamela, love story, though, and that's a very good presse of her career. But in this, just to give people a sense of it, as I say, she's front and centre and purposely at times, or a lot of the time, not wearing any makeup and telling her story from start to finish.
0: Yeah, very raw. And what I found about it is I feel like Pamela Hanson isn't able to tell her story. very. I I kind of felt like she was still removing herself from her story. Mm. She wasn't able to talk. So she's kept diaries since she was a young girl. She wasn't able to read the diaries herself. She was like, I don't know if I can revisit that. She's never watched back the sex tape. She didn't watch Pam and Tommy. There's a lot of stuff that she seems to have like, uh, she just can't go there. Mm. And so it it is very raw. Uh, Like, a lot of the interview is really, she's giving exactly how she felt about it. And the the Tommy thing in particular, I think there was a perception that these two were rock stars and it was lunacy. But she was actually very much in love with him. Mm. And left because she wanted to protect her children and really didn't get over the end of that marriage. And she talks about that very, very openly. Yeah. So I I do think there hasn't been this kind of like real focus on her life and uh, like a real honesty to what her story is. I think who thinks they know the Pamela story. And I, I thought this was a lot different, like the abuse she suffered when she was younger which obviously had a detrimental effect on her. Um, returning home, like the way she says things like, you know, I'm at home now and I'm alone. And she kind of laughs things off. Mm. And you're like, you, you clearly haven't dealt with that. There's something <laughs> going on there. But yeah. it, I just couldn't get over how raw it was. And I think a lot of people who watch this will get to the end of the doc and just be like, I want to crawl into the screen and give her a hug. Yeah. Just really needs a hug. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I had the
1: same feeling about it. And, and there's two things though. One, you know, she still seems. I suppose we all are, but she's a work in progress. And there's yeah. things, there's things she hasn't dealt with or she hasn't accommodated. But I guess you know who who of us have fully, I suppose, and particularly her love life. She talks about almost in a way still being in pursuit of that one perfect yeah. love and how maybe it's very no, yeah how, yeah, how how no ever replaced Tommy. But and I think it's really important to say this. You know, she said she's doing this to, you know, take back her story. There is a real, God, she's a survivor. And I had a sense, maybe her moment is coming now and that, you know, she's going to be the badass she always was. And the rest of us are going to see it. Like she's, there's more ahead for her. You feel watching this.
0: Yeah. I I definitely felt like, particularly around the Chicago stuff, because.
1: That's the musical she's in. The
0: musical she's in. And she was on Broadway and I definitely felt like I I wrote her off. Mm. I was kind of like Pamela Anderson in a musical. Oh my God. They're just using her name to get people into the. But she actually wasn't that bad. Like I saw some of the clips and I was like, oh, she's very good in this. And she can, you know, she's not the best singer in the world, but she can hold an ocean. It's yeah. awesome. And she, it really felt like she was coming into herself. And I, I really liked the way Brandon, her son, was talking about it, that she was, you know, finally able to do things without checking with a husband or yeah. worrying about somebody being jealous or abuse or worrying about kids and, you know. I th- she really she didn't make a cent off that sex tape and she really looked after her children she she really tried to make sure that they didn't they were protected from everything that was going on in her life and I, I think that's really c- commendable like I think when you see this and you see how much of a doting mother she is you kind of be rooting for her at the end and be like yeah I hope things work out for Pam anderson she's a, she's a good she's a good person you know that kind of I really felt like that at the end but I definitely feel like there's more coming. Yeah. and yeah.
1: your point is very well made. That like she is never, I don't think, thought of as a good mother, and she is such a good mother in this. Yeah. like she's absolutely the sun, moon, and stars rise and set on those children, uh, and hats off to her.
0: Just at the same time, sorry, that's not actually pushed in your face no, either. Absolutely, you just pick not. it up as part of the documentary. Oh, she's a pretty good mother, you know. Mm. So yes, yeah, sorry. No, I was
1: just going to say the Pam and Tommy thing is interesting because I'm a big fan of that show, primarily because I thought Lily James did a brilliant, sympathetic, I don't want to say tribute to her, but really was trying to show all we were talking about, that she was demonized for and, and Tommy was turned into a rock god. But I suppose it's understandable that she wanted nothing to do with it because all she did was have sex. Like, yeah. you know 99.9 of the population have had hers happened to be on film and the film was stolen so I can see why she doesn't want it revisited but I would just say I actually think Pam and Tommy was quite sympathetic to her but look it wasn't my life up on screen so
0: yeah I, I definitely got the impression from her in the documentary as well that she she didn't watch it and mm. she didn't want to really have anything to do with it but it kind of concerned her that they were humanizing the guy who had stolen this tape and you know it it I was just saying to you before we came the call, I hadn't seen it and I watched the first episode after the documentary and I was feeling really angry. I was like, Look at this guy, this guy's just yeah. going to take her entire life. Whereas I feel like if I watched it before the documentary and I got to the end, I probably would have been a bit more sympathetic towards his character. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a a kind of a weird one, but I can totally, like she really is... And that's part of the fleetingness of her. She just kind of jumps into everything, doesn't think twice, marries the guy, is always looking for you know, she's very much in the present kind of person. And I, I I really feel there's a block there that she's like, I don't really like probably why she hasn't really done a documentary about herself before. Yeah. Doesn't really want to look back on things that have happened in a particularly painful stuff like that, yeah like the sex tape, you know. She yeah. feels ruined her life.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, uh, it seems almost like a cruel thing to ask what would you give stars for this because it's it's someone's life. But but that said, what would you give it out of five?
0: I I'd give it I give it four. Now I am a Pam fan. That's how I feel like, you know, I, I just I really like her. I always thought she was so warm. But I, I think people will just find this very interesting. The yeah. whole stuff around privacy, about um people's lives being played out in the media, about viral media. And like how to actually keep your life together while all of that's happening, I think all of that is really, really interesting, and people will be interested in it. So besides her, it's a, it's just a good doc.
1: Yeah, no, it really is, and I think she comes across great in it, and she's very honest in it. So I go along with you. I, I thought it was one of the best things in terms of a doc I'd seen in a while, and and I didn't, I couldn't stop watching it. Like I, I just wanted to watch the whole thing without interruption which yeah, is a good sign
0: to mention as well Ryan White who's the guy who yeah. did, is like The Keepers on Netflix was a really good documentary the one about Sister Kathy the, the yeah. one who disappeared. and he's all it was the The Case Against Eight which was Oscar nominated I'm pretty sure and like so he's a seasoned documentary maker he knows how to make a good documentary and keep you yeah. interested
2: you know
1: I think I interviewed him once, but I, I can't remember. It's all starting to fade into who knows what. Anyway, Sue gives it four stars. I'm going to give it four stars as well because I thought it was it was, it was pretty top notch. That is four stars from both me and Sue Murphy for Pamela, a love story which lands on Netflix on Wednesday next week, the 31st of January. Well worth a watch. Sue Murphy, thank you so much. No
3: worries. Thank you. I didn't sleep last night at all. If anybody is watching this, go to hell. I blocked that stolen tape out of my life in order to survive. And now that it's all coming up again, I feel sick. I want to take control of the narrative for the first time. I don't think people consider her the owner of her own image. It's Pamela Anderson, public property. I didn't feel like I
2: had a lot of respect.
3: Would you want to be a serious actress? I am a serious actress. I
2: had to make a career
3: out of the pieces left but I'm not the damsel in distress. I put myself in crazy situations and
2: <laughs> survived them.
1: A clip there from Pamela, A Love Story, which lands on Netflix next Wednesday, the 31st of January. And you heard me talking to Sue Murphy there about it. And uh, as we were pointing out, a, a very interesting watch and uh, bizarre to think of some of the questions she was asked in interviews, not not that long ago. But anyway, well worth a watch. And as I say, that is it available from next Tuesday on Netflix. So that is it for this week. Uh, thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show, as she always does. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, please email screentime at newstalk.com. You can tweet me, John underscore Fardy. Anything. Thoughts on the Oscars. Thoughts on TV you're watching, movies you're watching. Thoughts on life. I'm easy. Get in touch, no problem. All welcome. And I'll also remind you this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on NewsTalk.com or the NewsTalk app powered by Go Loud. Have a good week, and I will talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening.